0: It's the criminal code of the underworld and a sacred vow of silence. But what happens when a criminal turns witness against his own? MCD presents Omerta, oh a live show with me, Nicola Talent, in association with Crime World, on April 27th in the Olympia Theatre Dublin. Tickets on sale now at ticketmaster.ie. But really what happens when organised crime takes
1: a very deep root in society, it's, it, it corrupts society in total. And you saw what happened with boxing. It can't take root if they have enough money to throw at the problem and there's enough people willing to turn a blind eye. The volatility that that we're seeing now hmm. within organised crime structures in Ireland will probably lead to the outbreak of these kind of feuds, micro-feuds, I suppose, like in Finglas, like in Drogheda.
0: I'm Nicola Tallent, and you're listening to Crime World, a podcast about criminals, drugs and the sins of the underworld in Ireland and across the globe. The trial of Jerry the Monk Hutch will resume this week after a lengthy Christmas break, but it isn't expected to last much longer before judges at the Special Criminal Court retire to consider their verdict. Today, I'm talking with Niall Donald about the key pieces of evidence against the Monk and the state of play for the prosecution and the defence. In an extraordinary 12 months for the embattled Kinahan organisation, we also discuss the difference a year can make and consider what 2023 will have in store for the key players in the mob. This is Crime World, a podcast from sundayworld.com. Christmas. It was okay. It was okay. Was you it? know, it seems like ages ago already. I was actually gonna to say to you, doesn't it seem like a lifetime ago that we were sitting listening to Jonathan Dowdall? It did, and it, it did take years
1: off our lives. So yeah. lifetime was the uh Yeah. The the accurate
0: term, wasn't it? So it's a bit of a panicky last day in one way. Um I was in the courtroom. I was hoping to wait to the end, and I got called away, and ended up in a bit of an emergency situation. Uh, but um, and we missed doing our last podcast, which was disappointing for a whole. It was. It was.
1: It was having seen it through to the truth at a bitter end.
0: Yeah, you know. But there wasn't that much really that we hadn't said at that point. He had been very repetitive for the the last few days of his his cross examination.
1: Yeah, I mean, you could summarise exactly. What he what he said over was it seven days? You know, eight, six, I think. eight days, yeah. six hours a day, or whatever it is with, with with breaks. I had nothing. I had no knowledge of the Regency. Yeah, I didn't know anything. And uh, I, I took re- too many tablets. I took too many <laughs> tablets, and uh, I was afraid of the hutches. Yeah. And I was just spoofing away to Jerry to try and act a hard yeah. man. Yeah. So you could summarize it in in, in two minutes, yeah. but it stretched out over eight days. But from the defense point of view. I do think they they damaged Jonathan Dowdle as a witness. I mean, Mm. I don't think there's anybody, there can be any doubt about that.
0: Yeah, and, you know, there's been time off, which is good for everybody concerned because it was very intense there now before Christmas and I think everybody was pretty knackered, including, I'm sure, the judges and, uh, you know, the legal, the the defence teams and the prosecution um, who are, you know, look, everybody says they earn a fortune and they do very little, but when you think of the concentration that goes into these yeah, things... because I mean, realize- it is,
1: it is the concentration is really intense because they really do have to respond to what Jonathan Dowdle is saying, you know? Mm. Like, it's not like where they can have a, I, I presume they do have a, s- a certain degree of prepared questions, but they have to try and, and, and catch him being inconsistent, and that mm. depends on listening to the answers, you know? But he definitely was, um, they definitely... Uh, Damaged his his testimony, mm. it, it, as in my opinion, you know. Um, yeah. But it's it's and if you're in court, of course, when you hear witnesses give evidence, there are inconsistencies. Every witness, nearly under a long period of cross examination, will show a degree of inconsistency. So that's accepted by a court. But you know, did he show too much inconsistency? It's it's hard to see that he didn't.
0: So look, a new year and we're back in court on Wednesday. So let's just recap where we are at with this trial why it's so significant and what we're expecting over the coming weeks so in the dock is Jerry the Monk Hutch who most people know anybody who's been knocking around Dublin or indeed Ireland for the past what, four decades would know who who he is. He's accused of murdering David Byrne in the Regency Hotel on the 5th of February 2016. And his co-accused are Jason Bonney and Paul Murphy, who've both denied having any involvement in the murder. They're accused of providing basically the getaway vehicles on the day. Um, They have been lesser lights in this entire trial. Obviously, everybody's fixated on the monk and his defence, which is that he didn't do it. Now, there's three key pieces of evidence against him by the state. Two of them are coming directly from Jonathan Dowdall, the state witness who was previously also accused of murder, but who, in the background, uh, his between his solicitors writing to the police, the DPP, etc., the murder charge was dropped against him and instead he pleaded guilty to facilitating, serving yep. a four-year sentence and has already appealed yep. the, the, the length of time. Um, so he is saying two things about the monk.
1: Yeah, so he's saying, I mean, his primary bit of evidence is that the monk told him, personally confessed to him to being involved in the murder, directly involved as a, a member of the hit team, uh, who who were involved in shooting David Bernican and associates. Mm. So that's that's probably the, the the most damning piece of evidence. He's saying as I'm, he's saying under oath in the witness box, Jerry
0: Hutch told me he was he was directly involved in that murder, and then and not- he told him he said that in a park, yeah, in Fairview, the day, the morning his brother was shot dead.
1: Yeah so the he's Monday. saying he's saying the Monday, so the regency happened on Friday. He's yeah. saying yeah he's he's saying that he Jerry Hutch met him actually in Whitehall in a park Whitehall. and told them um, Me and my geography the north side. <laughs> <is>. Actually <laughs> well, that is a
0: new year's resolution of mine to, to just familiarize myself slightly more with the north side.
1: Yes, okay. The north side is looking and forward to And you can do it. similar with y- the south yeah, side. Yeah, the north side is just can't wait Nick yeah. sure. <laughs> But um so that's that's the first key bit of evidence, he's saying he, he told him this directly afterwards, and the other bit of key evidence is he's saying that he got the, a key card for the region, for a room in the Regency Hotel, which was ultimately used by a guy known as Flat Cap, um, that he was given that directly by Jerry Hutch, and he then uh, gave that ended
0: up with Kevin Murray, and that he gave that key cards to Jerry Hutch to Jerry Hutch who
1: Jerry Hutch yeah. obviously it ended up in the hands of Kevin Murray that's not yeah. made clear so he's saying that directly ties him Jerry Hutch directly ties into that murder plot mm. in advance so that that's a, a very key bit of evidence then obviously he's a sort of um, he's speaking to Jerry Hutch on these now infamous tapes And this is the
0: third bit of evidence, really. There's a three-pronged approach to this case by the state. The two pieces of evidence that Dowdall is giving that there's no other witnesses for and that it's kind of his word against Jerry Hutch's word. And that's why it's been so significant that the defence have almost torn him apart and accused him repeatedly of being a liar under cross-examination. And the third piece is the tapes. There was controversy about whether these tapes would be allowed in or not, but ultimately they were allowed.
1: Yeah, so it's 10 hours of tapes. The controversy arose because the tapes are recorded o- over two jurisdictions uh, in the Republic of Ireland and in Northern Ireland. So that that's where the controversy arose, whether that would be admissible. But they were ultimately made admissible. And you do hear Gerry Hutch and Jonathan Dowdell having long, sometimes uh, tedious conversations over over. The course of a couple of car journeys. Um and so they're obviously speaking about the Regency. There's a few bits of it that the state have honed in on. Number one being that Jerry Hutch at one point discusses giving three yokes. Which the state contend is a discussion about three AK forty sevens that were used in the Regency Hotel. And so they, they're building that as part of their case that Jerry Hutch can be heard as being part of this conspiracy to murder, really. Yeah. And has knowledge of the weapons and, and other matters. Jerry Hutch's defense team have said that it's not that it that the tapes do not show that, that they do not make it that clear. And so that's really the 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 key evidence. That's against Jerry Hutch. There's also other bits of evidence that are probably less damning, but mm. the state obviously brought this case even before Jonathan Daddle became a witness, so they feel that
0: the... The, the tapes are enough. The tapes are enough. Yeah. And, you know, sometimes you talk to people, everyone has an opinion about where this trial is at, where it's going, and, you know, a lot of people... Um, I think a lot of guards believe that there is enough in those tapes when you sit and listen to them you would wonder because both you and I have felt that he was very noncommittal in them it's hard to um
1: yeah, yeah i mean it's it, like look it's clear he definitely
0: know. talks about he's definitely doing there's do, i mean he's definitely you know with the other evidence doing something as regards getting rid of those weapons and i think you could come away from listening to those tapes definitive that he was there in the aftermath In this kind of plan to bring in the dissidents to mediate between the Kinahan and the Hutch groupings, you can hear that he was concerned for his family and for people, innocent people who were going to get shot. He realised to an extent what was coming at the Hutch family and organisation. But to another extent, there's a naivety there, I think, when we look at it in hindsight, that these dissidents, these Hobos from up around the border <laughs> can come in and sit and talk to the Kinnan organization. Yeah. And we're gonna talk in a while about them and, and the takedown of them. But so, um, I mean look, you can
1: you listen to those tapes and there there, there isn't everything can be interpreted. Like it's not it's these aren't uh, sworn witness statements, these tapes. These are obviously two guys in a car chatting. And you know, in a funny way, Jonathan Dowd will keep saying, Oh well, I was just saying that, it doesn't mm. amount to anything. I mean, obviously, the states' cases when Jerry does say things, it does amount to something. It's mm. not just talking. However, so he's not waffling. But he's not just waffling, Jonathan. is waffling. The, yeah. So that I mean, that yeah, that is it's a bit there like is a, and I. <laughs> yeah, like you're waffling. Obviously, <laughs> yeah, yeah, you are. No. But uh, so, but I'm that is uh, sense. well. So that's but that is the contradiction there, isn't there? So, but there's obviously as well. You can hear it as you listen to the tapes. Jerry knows stuff that's going on. Mm. I mean, you, you might expect him to, yeah. but he does know stuff that's going on, yeah. and that'll be part of the sort of common sense approach of what the state is saying is that you can, you know, this this guy's gone meeting dissidents, he's discussing weapons. It's not he doesn't have a clue. He's, he, you know, he knows nothing. So that, that that's that's a that'll be decided. But it's mm. it's going to be how things fit together, and that is what you'll hear. Like as we're going to. Say there's a couple of weeks left to go, and it'll be how the the, the prosecution decide to to put all these disparate bits together to build a, an overall case.
0: Yes, because that is you know where it's going. So on yeah. Wednesday we go back into court. We are expecting possibly little bits of uh, evidence about maybe the monk's um, extradition, yeah, and maybe whatever he said under questioning, because everything would have been had would have had to be put to him, um, and that might come out. There might be other little bits. But ultimately, I think the next big thing that's going to happen in this trial is the conclusions, is those final um, speeches by the prosecution under Sean Gallan and the defence under Brendan Graham. And they will be sort of concluding what their cases are or not. And um, that can go on sometimes over a day and a half. That is a very lengthy process but it's one of the most vital. I mean, if you want to go to a trial and you can't go to all of it, you go to the opening and the closing. Yeah. Um, and obviously, you know, the key witnesses, it's great to be there for the key witnesses usually. Um, but, so, you know, that the, the the closing could take, I would think, a week given the... Yeah, because there's three people on trial. I mean, the yeah. other two
1: guys are there as well. Yeah. They sometimes get a, become an afterthought in a way. Um, Jason Bonney and Paul Murphy. So they... Their their case will also have to be summed up. The prosecution will will also make a case against them, and their their defence will also uh, make a case for why they should be found not guilty. So that would all take another. They will take a couple of days mm. each. I would
0: imagine. Mm. Um. I mean, do you think there's any more big surprises left, or is it going to be think, a calmer kind of a trial going forward?
1: Oh, I think it'll be definitely calmer. Yeah. Um You know, I think there will be uh, evidence of arrests, evidence of what was. St- put the people when they were arrested, how they responded. Um, I don't think they they said anything mm. in particular so you probably won't have loads of evidence there. I think there might be some other uh, uh, CCTV evidence or that's, that's not going to be uh, amazing but it might show a bit more movements of people. Um, so I think you're you're certainly getting to the end game, but it's not going to be like Jonathan Dowdle. I think it'll be uh, that there'll be a period now of kind of quite technical evidence. It won't be like the uh, carnival
0: nope, show it that it was. And just to explain for people, because of course we have to keep reminding everybody that this is in the special criminal court, so it's different than the ordinary courts. In an ordinary court, if a trial came to an end, a judge would direct the jury. The jury would go out to their rooms and start deliberating, yeah. and that's when they all decide whether somebody is guilty, whether they're innocent, yeah. or if there's a hung jury, and a hung jury would be when they can't actually decide, when there isn't a majority verdict.
1: No, so I mean normally they, they, the juries go out, there's 12 people or or whatever, it can vary sometimes, with people get sick or whatever. So they go out and they may be given a day or two to reach a verdict, then a judge may come back and say, I'll accept a minority verdict, which would be Tend to, tend to. So that's if there's, if there's obviously, if there seems to be a struggle to reach a verdict, and then eventually, I mean, and it hasn't happened much in the history of the state, um, if they can't reach a verdict to be a hung jury I mean it has happened obviously over the years it happened it's, in the
0: Stephen Silver case do you know yeah, that Yeah. because we, we had the eye off the ball for that because I did cover that a little bit but Stephen Silver who was accused of uh, murdering Garda Horkin yeah. and uh, there was a hung jury in that case it's 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 <sighs> you know, could you call it as much uh, as a disaster for everybody? It's very hard on the victim's family. It's very hard on the accused. It's expensive on the state. It's a whole new trial. Somebody's recharged and they have to go again. And they also
1: have to give as well a period of, a cooling off period if there's a hung jury because they can't go straight into it Mm -hmm. because obviously the evidence being in the public arena, it'd be very hard to find a juror that maybe hasn't heard something of it. So they have to have a cooling off period. I mean, it obviously does happen. Yeah. Um, but they don't let juries go on and on. I suppose uh, if they don't reach a verdict, if they can't reach a verdict after four or five days, I don't think there's been anything longer than five days. No, no, no. So they they then they'll they'll call a hung jury, but that won't happen.
0: No, because all of that is in the normal course of events and not before the special criminal court. This case is before the special criminal court, so the judges will, you know, retire. Yeah. To consider. Yeah. Their verdict.
1: Yes. And which it, is a
0: judgment, which they will come back and read at length to the court and they will detail how they accepted some evidence, how they didn't accept other evidence. You know, they will likely detail what they felt about the state witness Jonathan Dowdall. They will detail um, you know, those three key yeah, so, pieces I mean, of, of, of evidence or are of what the state say makes the, the monk guilty. Yeah. They will go through that forensically and legally.
1: Yeah, so they don't know. I mean, like obviously you would say if you, the famous murder trials, the jury just come back and say guilty or not guilty. Yeah. You don't know why they, they, yeah. they reached the decision. And you in Ireland, at least, you almost never find out. Mm-hmm. That's different in the special criminal court because they will say, you know, we believe Jonathan Dowdell, we didn't believe Jonathan Dowdell, or or any number of those things. So it'll be a totally, it's a totally kind of different process. I mean, I don't know actually how the special, do they, do they vote if they disagree? Is it two to one or is it, is oh, it that they... I don't they know
0: that actually, whether they do. Presumably they do um, if they disagree to that extent. I know that I've I've sat through um, some of the judgments and I remember for, uh, for Freddie Thompson um, listening in the beginning, you're going, which way is it going? Yeah. And, uh, you know, quickly you sort of realise which way the wind is blowing for the accused you can kind of you know okay they they didn't accept that they did accept that okay that's two points for guilty zero null point for you know innocent and so as it goes on but it's very robust and very you know because of course the judgment can be appealed so they have to make it as robust and cover every avenue they they need to and
1: and they always get appealed in the special criminal court judgments Mm. and they all because because Often on the same
0: grounds. Largely because most people are found guilty. Well, There's a huge percentage of people found guilty in the Special Criminal Court. That's a fact. And they will appeal it. There is something like 90% of accused found guilty in the Special Criminal Court.
1: Yeah, people probably won't want to hear that. But of course, you know, ordinary criminals don't come before the Special Criminal Court as well. Well, ordinary criminals even, if you know what I mean. Yeah. So... Yeah, look, it's it's the special criminal court is obviously a hugely controversial part of Iri- the Irish legal system, you know. Mm. Um, so these verdicts, when they people are found guilty in the special criminal court, they often end up in go, trying to get the European Court saying mm. it's
0: it's unfair the that they're held, of their human rights yeah. and whatever else.
1: Yes, in terms of not yeah. being allowed to go
0: before jury of their yeah. peers, which is a cornerstone of our legal system. And of course, Jerry Hutch and his then co-accused Jonathan Dowdall appealed the yeah. fact that their cases, their murder trials were happening in the special criminal court before it ever happened. Yeah. Um, Jonathan Dowdall may have well as kept his wished because he, he never would actually end up in the dock for murder. But at that time when he was charged initially, they they both... Well, I think now if you sat in... ...for the if, case to happen in a normal court.
1: If you were sitting there as a juror listening to Jonathan Dowdle. I think that would have, Jerry Hutch would have been delighted to have a jury listen to him. Damn right. He would have, yeah. it really...
0: Jerry Hutch wanted a jury from the beginning.
1: But it doesn't, like for a jury, wouldn't have liked hearing all that evidence, if you know what I mean. Mm. But judges maybe may assess that differently, yeah. do you know. Um. So some of the things of where somebody is likable or not, probably... Don't play as well or as badly in front of a juror, uh, in front of a judge, as they may in front of a juror, where somebody is a sympathetic or an unsympathetic witness. A judge may, the judges may be more dispassionate mm-hmm. about that type of thing, but you can see why Jerry Hutch would have wanted a jury to hear Jonathan Dowdle's testimony because I think he, he, you can un- you can understand that on a on a basic
0: level. Mm-hmm. Well, look, I am going to say that I reckon we are not going to have a verdict probably until the end of the first quarter. Which would be when? Year. I think we're probably not going to have anything until maybe or April. So oh, I mean, the courts April break March. again in April, do they? They do, yeah. Maybe before that break, I think maybe yeah. we'll have something because the the judges won't want to leave. Like, I mean, Jerry Hutch has already been in custody for a long time. They're not going to want to leave that decision. Their priority will be finishing this case, coming up with the verdict and giving their judgment. And um, I think they're going to be hard at work from... You know, if my estimates are right, another two weeks of the case starting yeah. next week, and I think they'll be working through February and probably into March. Yeah, maybe early April. Just yeah, you know, which is yeah,
1: it, I I think that's right. I think the those natural breaks do sometimes mm-hmm. give people a kind of deadline. Exactly. Yeah, do you know, yeah.
0: just like we saw with Jonathan Dowdle ending just before Christmas. You know, so. Anyway, that's where we're at with that. So we're going to be back in court next week. But we thought we'd have a little recap because we never did our little Christmas thing. No, 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 we were no, gonna, no. We had planned doing it a year in review and yeah. I was going to drink during yeah, it. I was going to wear gonna, a Santa hat, was I? Yeah, you were going to wear a Santa hat. Mm. I was going to drink wine or something <laughs> like that. And we were going to talk about what happened over the year, but we never got to do that. So we're going to just do a little recap on the other major story, of course. And really, this Regency trial is, you know, it's its its at the centre, it's at the heartbeat of what has happened to the Kinnahan cartel since 2016 and all the rest of it. But just taking the last 12 months um, as regards the Kinnahan organisation, what has happened to them. It's been a sensational... We were joking in the office before Christmas that I was going to do a Queen's speech on <laughs> the Ennis Horribilis, which it had been uh, for Daniel Kinahan and co. But in all seriousness, this time last year, he was posing on the rooftop of a five-star hotel in Dubai with his arm around Tyson Fury. Yeah. Um, Looking, you know, it just shows what can happen in a year.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think at that point, like, he actually... This time last year, he launched a publicity drive to mm. put all that crime stuff behind him. I mean, that—that that is the reality, isn't yes, it? Yeah,
0: I mean, that's how untouchable he was. He was a long time from the Regency. He was a long way from Ireland, from where the pesky Garda Siakon here have been working away, trying to to link him to something. And he was obviously feeling he had got away with it all.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think we were hearing back that from from sources that he really felt... That was he was just had to take the final step to become Mm. to become a legitimate, appearing to be a legitimate boxing promoter. I mean, the, the success of Tyson Fury had really propelled him into another level there. I mean, Tyson Fury some incredible successes as a boxer, huge money involved in his fights, and he was edging towards respectability. And as he has done over time, As he he did this time last year, he was getting some of his closest associates in the boxing world Mm. to put him out on social media, to pose with him in pictures, to trot out the line Daniel's never been convicted of anything. He's a brilliant manager, the best guy. His
0: only interest is for the boxers and their well being. Mm, Yes.
1: So he had, he was, he first appeared with Tyson Fury. He was also appearing with Sonny Edwards, another champion boxer. Um, He was, There was just a rake of social media Mm. posts all of a sudden with Daniel, and he was...
0: And he had that situation with the... um wasn't the Pakistani minister for sport? He was photographed him and, and Sandra Vaughan were photographed.
1: Yes, there was a whole uh, there was a whole series of of meetings. He was also involved in a he was he met with Sandra Vaughan, who had been who worked with him as a, in the boxing world um, with MTK, mm. and they appeared meeting the uh, a, a Pakistani minister, um, all about taking it forward. And, and I mean, you know, it looked
0: really bad for the good guys then, didn't it? It was like it was just. It felt as if the good guys were losing, that this guy was going to win this long battle and that there was nothing anybody could do. There was nothing law enforcement could do. He was there. He was beyond the reach of everybody. I mean, he wasn't only just, you know, doing these kind of like photographs and getting other people to say things about him. He was actually planning what we reckoned was a three-hour interview with the podcaster, the UK podcaster, James English. This had been recorded out in Dubai and clips of it began to appear in March in the run-up to the big interview, which was going to happen on St. Patrick's Day because he's such a patriot. And he was going to tell the world you know, his woes. Yes. And how badly treated he had been by the media.
1: The Irish media.
0: The Irish media in particular, yeah. of course. And that, you know, he was an innocent and what was one of the clips I think we um saw um, and we have showed him talking about what happened to him in the Regency and how he saw the gun and he ran yeah. and he was you know he was sitting in a in a in a in an office which we would later be looking at for a different reason. Yeah. But that was all in March.
1: Yeah, like, I mean, I remember watching it and thinking, this guy is, I mean, he's 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 gone past the control of, you know, the Gardaer after him, but sure, he never has to stand set foot in Ireland again, and he looked like he had become untouchable. Mm. However, there was also other people saying, uh-uh. you hear this other word saying, no, he's, he's deluded there. yeah, And,
0: you know... And if the- you've had any good sources at all they have been saying from the beginning, you know, they're gone, they're gone. Yeah. This is a great big plan. And I mean, we weren't really privy to how big the plan was. No. Of course, the only negative that happened for him at the beginning of last year, 12 months ago, in a round was Raphael Imperiale, the uh, head of the Camorra, who was sent back to Italy. And he was one of those named as being part of the super cartel along with Daniel Kinahan. So he was arrested in Dubai and sent back. But still, but the I mean, Kinnahans if were re- left standing untouched
1: yeah, and it looked like it
0: took a while to
1: get Rafael Imperiale actually out of the country and back to Italy. So it didn't even that looked a bit shaky at yeah. times because it didn't happen as smoothly as predicted. So it looked like they could hold on, and he looked like the guy who had he'd, he'd embedded himself in society over there in a way mm. that some of the other uh, exiled mafia figures hadn't. So Daniel Kinnan had had made friends with people within. Within that society in the Emirates, had cozied up to people, uh, you know, in hereditary positions of power, and it looked like he would be the one untouchable because he was running as, uh, you know, he was involved in legitimate businesses as well, and um, and so as you, as you said, there were sources saying, no, no, he's it, that's not the way it is. But to to me, certainly, it looked like. He's, he, you know, he, is, he isn't going to be caught.
0: Yeah, and it feels like a very long time you're saying it's the end, it's the end, it's the end, but sure enough, by April, and of course, just as I went on my holly Bops, yes. um, there was an announcement in Dublin, which was an absolutely extraordinary event which will be spoken about for years to come, and which was a first really for a European drug gang, not only to come out of Ireland, but to a gang to come out of Europe because the US of course got together here in Dublin and um along with the NCA the National Crime Agency in the UK representatives from the Gardaí uh the DEA the US Treasury they got together and announced that the Kinahans were being sanctioned
1: Yeah which was an like an incredible thing to see really Um you see, last night all the um, the 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 problems in Sinaloa in Mexico, where yeah. they're you know El Chapo's son is arrested, and they're, they're 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 literally the society's breaking down. But they have the same five million pound on the head of El Chapo's son. Yeah, they have that exact same figure and exact same wanted notice yeah. on the tree, Daniel Kinnon. Christy Kinnan Sr. and Christy Kinnan Jr. Mm-hmm. So they're, put them, they're putting them in there together. And it was incredible to see that. And, you know, we've endured it for years, or you've endured it a lot, a lot more than most, that Daniel is an innocent man, mm-hmm. he's no no convictions, and nothing is proven, and he's, you know, all of that ended just like that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Once that the U.S. ambassador stood up, put up that wanted notice, that was the end of them, yeah. being able to say that. Yeah. So you had people like Bob Arum, the boxing promoter, who'd resolutely stood behind Daniel up until that point, uh, you know, saying stuff like "I don't know anything about it, but I just know he's an honourable man, and I've dealt with him." As soon as the U.S. Uh, government did that, the next day Bob Arum was saying, "I'll never deal with him again." So and the,
0: the head of the boxing, the, your man Suleiman, was it? But
1: he, yeah. So all he of had that. also
0: backed him. He had also
1: backed him, him, and many, many, many others. Mm. I mean, let's mm. let's not pull our punches on that. So, but that all ended in the space of ten minutes, really. Which they quickly
0: we? ran for the hills. All of them, didn't they? they? Ran Including from the hills. Tyson Fury, who was questioned in an interview and said that he had nothing to do with them, and he was nothing to do yeah. with him, and Did all the, know the rest was nothing about, so. about him. I mean, I think we could safely say that the rest of that year, like from April going forward to now and ongoing, is been the most enormous learning curve for us even. You know, we felt we knew a lot about the Kinahan organization. We had been years delving into the way they operated and, you know, their their international um their international partners. But what has come out since the sanctions has really even opened our eyes to what what was going on, to how big they'd become. I mean, a cartel isn't the word for them. They're worth billion and billions and billions. They're a massive corporate entity. Um, We know now, and obviously it started coming apart in the September of last year, they were using the Hawala underground banking system that began in the Middle East um, Johnny Morrissey their the, their laundering head in Europe was arrested in September in Spain um, along with his wife who was later released by the November only a couple of months ago Eden Gassinen, the last really bar Daniel Kinahan of the members of the European super cartel was uh, arrested under Operation Desert Light and has been returned to the Balkans um, by December, yeah. Raphael Imperiale had gone state witness. become a state in, witness. In Italy. I mean, it has just
1: been... I mean, if you see some of the stuff coming out about Raphael Imperiale you see the type of... I mean, I think it had... He he spent 300 grand on, on just pocket money in the space of two and three months... So that that's the type of wealth yeah. they were having, and even in in the latest stuff coming out of from Italy about him is about the hawala system, which is a, a way in, in which uh, it's a traditional form of of kind of uh, to replace kind of banking, really. So it just shows you that that they had they had a set up a perfect system, really. really? Mm-hmm. Um, but once a few of the dominoes started to fall, it's it's just spread like a chain reaction.
0: And, you know, we talk about that starting point of the Kinahan hutch feud and when you can have so many different... I mean, is there an ultimate one? And it's the same, really, with the takedown of the Kinahan organized Crime Group. You can keep the starting point moving and... Um, is it the the twenty seventeen wedding when the super cartel come together? Is it the problems within the Kinnahan organisation from about twenty fifteen? Is it prior to that when obviously the plan for this super cartel comes together and maybe the Hutch organisation are no longer part of that grander plan? Daniel Kinnahan has, or is it the moment that the DA realised that? this money laundering system being used by this European super cartel, by the Kinnahans, is funding Hezbollah. And that probably really is ultimately the turning point, which happens before any of these events that we recognise. Yeah, I mean,
1: I wonder, is the real starting point of the uh, the takedown of the Kinnahans cartel come with the involvement of the Americans, when Mm. when the Americans, that huge uh, world superpower, decides that these aren't just backwater drug dealers that are, you know, spreading a bit of cocaine, that these are, are you know, a, sort of a global threat, really. I mean, if you think back to the stuff that came out during the year um, from an international consortium of journalists about Christy Kinnahan, uh buying Egyptian, uh, f- you know, decommissioned yeah. Egyptian jets. Like, if, if we had known that, which we didn't know, but if we had known that and yeah. put that in the Sunday World in, say, 2019, people would have said... What,
0: is that a comic?
1: Yeah, what, is that a comic? Yeah, look at what the stuff, you know? And which is what Daniel Keenan was actually saying in that interview that never happened, like, oh, you know, I'm involved in Africa, it's ludicrous. Yeah. But, you know, if we had said that, it would have sounded so bizarre mm. and... and uh, Totally off the wall. Off the wall yeah. and exaggerated and crazy. But, you know, then it comes out and you actually they have, they had videos or, sorry, still photographs of mm. meeting these guys, yeah. attending the event. So just the absolute scale of it, like it is, you But know. It,
0: that's what I mean about it. Like the last year has been a kind of a learning experience for all of us about the scale of it. Yeah. And I think the thing about the Kinehans is, and the takedown of the Kinahans, and we talk about it as well from, what we have gained here in Ireland from the Garda Shicona's role in it, because, of course, it's a big international takedown. Um, but we've learned, really, and for those who continue to find this interesting and continue to read and listen about it, we've learned, really, that organised crime is an economy yeah. and that it's probably closer to all of us than we think yeah. and it's probably more part of our world than we previously think we know that um, it's a business we know that it's funding terrorism it's not just you know funding a certain amount of drug dealers it's funding terrorism across the world um, and we know I think from our from the work here from the Gardaí Corner, from what they've done and from the greater takedown that the biggest threat to the ordinary person and to society from organised crime is the corruptibility of it. And we look at what happened in sport and what we now know because of the investigation into sport. And I'm not just talking boxing because, I mean, the boxing is a no-brainer how Daniel Kinnahan, you know, tried to literally take over that sport yeah, and become and the biggest And successfully did. Yeah. And wasn't challenged from within it. But we also know that... Um, The Kinnahan Organisation, Organised Crime, have been targeting soccer Uh, in this country. We we know of um, a number of senior members of the Kinnahan Organisation who have taken a huge interest in their local soccer clubs and have tried to take roles in them that would give them a respectability within the community. And really, that kind of respectability in the community then brings them alongside politicians and probably police chiefs, etc. And that happens across the world. We know that the Kinnahans, uh attempted to and did sponsor a rugby team in Spain. We know that Johnny Morrissey and his wife tried to sponsor a soccer team in Scotland. Yeah. So they're not just targeting boxing, which is that working class sport. They're moving into other sports where which and are as middle class as anything. And I mean, there's no reason why the likes of the GAA shouldn't be very concerned that organised crime isn't targeting it.
1: No, I mean, sports and and charities, remember. I mean, those two organisations have been attractive, not just to to the Kinnens, but if you look across the world... The same thing has happened again and again in Colombia. You had those the the cartels in the 80s and 90s, got involved in major professional mm. sports, got involved in charity organizations. And what happens, and it happens in Mexico as well, and what happens is it corrupts society. Mm. And the problem, drugs obviously are a problem they call it health consequences and, and all of those things. But really what happens when organized crime takes a very deep root in society, it's, it, it corrupts society in total. Um, and we've seen in 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 the Netherlands, which is, um, you know, a very, very advanced economy by any standard, very something equivalent to Ireland, slightly bigger country, but not massively different. What you've seen is that organized crime was allowed to get too strong. And what you have is the prime minister of the netherlands and and other senior ministers having to be given protections because of the danger from organized crime gangs where they're shooting witnesses solicitors and journalists everybody and so the the the, the danger of organized crime is not that somebody's going to be selling cocaine because I think we can all accept somebody is always going to be selling cocaine. When someone wants to buy it. When someone wants to buy it. I mean, that's, there is, people always say, oh, sure, what does it matter if the Kinans are gone? Somebody else will come in their place. And to an extent, that is true. But what what can happen if you don't take down extremely big organised crime groups is they corrupt the very nature of society. Mm. And you've seen that, obviously, in the North, not to compare the Kinans to the IRA and and, and Loyalist paramilitaries. They are different. There are political differences and everything like that. But what happened with those organisations in the North was they managed to embed themselves in society so much that they took over, in part, the role of policing communities and all of those things. And that can happen in modern, developed countries. And how do we know that? Because we can actually see it in in in
0: the Netherlands. And not only that, but some of those encrypted phone takedowns, the hacks of last year and recent years, Excuse me, have also shown, and one of the priorities that the European police forces took out of all the information, not just taking down the crime gangs and identifying what they were doing and where they were holding their drugs and where they had their torture chambers and all the rest of it, but also identifying the levels of civil servants yep. that were on the payroll, people working in, in customs, in the, in the yep. courts, who were actually being paid and who were facilitating allowing the, the drugs in. So that's another kind of an eye-opener for us.
1: Yeah, because I mean, if you let these things go, they will get worse and worse as long as there's enough money to pay them. So you had in in places like Colombia and in places like Mexico now, and not just in, in countries maybe like that, but in the US at certain points in their history, in the 1930s, maybe in the 1970s with the mafia, where... Whole parts of society were really run by organized crime. I mean, they talk about the whole property market in New York. Nothing happened without the say-so of the mafia. And it took maybe 10 to 20 years for that to be undone. And what happened was that the mafia weren't stopped. So it's true somebody's always going to sell drugs but you can't allow organized crime groups to become a, a genuine player in society and therefore it is really important what the the guardia and other police forces have done not because it's going to stop every drug being sold in the in the in the country that will continue to go on that's a fact but that it that there isn't that corrupting element can't be allowed to take root and you saw what happened with boxing that mm. It can
0: take root if they have enough money to throw at the problem and there's enough people willing to turn a blind eye. When well, they say money buys everything. Predictions for 2023 big ones. I mean, I'm not talking about who's going to win the soccer or whatever I'm asking <laughs> you about. What's going to happen? What are the big stories that we're going to be looking at this year, do you think?
1: Well, I think the there is no doubt that the Kinnan organisation has uh, effectively lost control of the drugs trade in Ireland. So as we said, there will be some other people
0: stepping in. Um, It'll be chaotic for a few years, there's no doubt about yeah. it. I mean, it's, it's that that massive void isn't going to be filled quickly. There's obviously, you know, you have the family there who are the top targets now, the Drugs and Organised Crime Bureau, obviously, West Dublin former heroin dealers who are now dealing everything.
1: Yeah,
0: And you have the Mr. Big operation. And others. But there's a lot of smaller groups that are going to be vying now for... Yes, and I think you'll see uh,
1: regional drug crime will continue to grow massively I think. in, yeah. in, in You're going to see that while the Dublin gangs tended to control everything, I think you're going to see regional players really pop up. Um, you will see I think new new gangs emerge. There, there's, but I think you're going to see there's a there's the volatility that that we're seeing now mm. within organised crime structures in Ireland, um, will probably lead to the outbreak of these kind of uh, feuds, micro feuds, I suppose, like like in Finglas and
0: like in Drogheda. Um, there's, They're there's, a bit more opportunistic. They're not quite as organised. No, they no. are targeting certain individuals in them, but they'll take what they can get. No, They'll throw an old firebomb into a house if they can. Yeah,
1: but I mean, there's a level of violence when it gets embedded in... in so if you saw over the um, over the Christmas, there was a, a man brutally murdered in, in Drogheda with a, a hammer. I mean, very, very violent mm. crime committed by one of the... People associated with one of the feud gangs in Drogheda... Um, so that level of violence, although it's nothing to do with that feud, that, that man's death, mm. some of the same people are involved, and that's because that level of violence that was caused by that feud has become baked into it there now. Yeah. So I think you're going to see a lot of, uh, you know, there's been very low murder rates actually in Ireland over mm. the last couple of years. I think you're going to see a lot more volatility. Um, but the, the Kinnahans have... You know, there's there's some of the people they're involved with are still going to remain major players, but the, the and obviously
0: 2023. I mean, it's undoubtedly going to be the deal breaker. The Kinahans are wanted in a number of jurisdictions.
1: Well, are we gonna are we gonna see one or all of them before courts by by this time next year? I I would think. we are.
0: I would think we are as well, and I think it's a question of where that will be. I mean, we know that uh, Daniel Kinahan has been. Um, strongly suspected of having links to a number of murders in this jurisdiction, a few murders, at least directing them. We know that the encrypted technology uh, that has been hacked into is being actively gone through across the world by experts. And, um, you know, there is certainly a desire by police here in Ireland who have been... uh, investigating this gang for so many years to to bring certainly Daniel Kinnan I think before the courts here whether that happens or not remains to be seen but I think probably his brother and father will go elsewhere yeah but um,
1: well I think you know we're doing if we're doing the same wrap up this time next year you know we will see somebody before courts from, from that very top
0: so it's going to be another bloody busy year
1: it's going to be another busy year
0: yeah you see? And I've booked my holidays. So. so,
1: yeah. So, if you want to know when everything's going to happen. Yeah. Put just it, have just, a look just at the roster. Have at just seriously have a look.
0: I'm telling you all, I'm just warning you that, uh, <laughs> Yeah. well, I'm not going to announce when I'm going on my holidays, but I'm I'm telling you I'm going to be coming on from God knows where across the world from some hotel room to talk to you to say, can you believe it's happened again? Yeah. So, there we go. So, for the moment anyway, we'll be back next week kind of in a more orderly fashion Um we've lots of stuff outside the hutch trial to discuss and um we are m- we're sort of modernizing ourselves slightly in crime world we're going to start Claude is going to start a little bit of tiktokking a little bit of instagramming and uh, a little bit of a visual treat for the listeners of a visual <laughs> treat a visual treat <laughs> that's it, that's, that's it. And we're all going to have to start wearing a little bit of makeup and maybe not just, all of us, hopefully. Yeah. No, no, straightening our hair. I see you got your hair done. That's th- did you see his hair? Yeah,
1: I did this out, Ian. Please. Somebody
0: did a little point at the front of it. <laughs> Don't
1: put
0: that, no. It's on. Sorry, okay. Ian. Obviously, uh, that well. stays on. But it, look, he's he slapped it down there now. But did you see his hair? He's actually got his hair cut because he thought we were being videoed today. That's I not didn't. True. That's not true. Look much more of a natural (laughs) me but um, yeah but he is going to be a little bit more for the ladies we'll have you on a little bit of stuff. can you get Botox on expenses I'm sure you can I can try we'll ask Brian if that's okay we'll all go for it will we (laughs) I don't know Um, and a few other things (laughs) besides why not why not yeah put it in as part of the visual experience yeah okay well look I'll, uh, I'll see you and talk to you next week thanks Nicola